This is Influencing Insider, the weekly webinar that interviews Australia and New Zealand's best journalists about how they like to work with communications professionals. To view our complete library of episodes and register for the live shows, head to influencing.com forward slash insider. And welcome to Influencing Insider. I'm your host, Elliot Richardson, and Influencing Insider is your weekly look at the Australian media and how to work with journalists and the way that they like to work with PR professionals. We've got a special episode today. It's Australian Media 101, and joining us will be Andrew Holden. He's the Director of Communications at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Bill Bennett is a freelance business and tech journalist, often popping up at the New Zealand Herald. And Mark Settles is the Editorial Director at CNET Australia. And for all of our viewers from the NZT network, you will receive free access to Australian media and press release platform, which is Influence, which is us, um, after the panel. And you'll be able to get access to 19,000 media contacts and send out some free media releases. We'll share more information about that after today's episode. You'll get some emails. Also, if you can't stick around for the full 15, 20 minutes, that's okay. You'll get a replay in your inbox a little bit later today with um, uh, the link through the, the, the replay on Livestorm, so you won't miss a thing. So I'm just going to invite Andrew, Bill, and Mark on now. Hi, Andrew. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Hi, Mark. How's things? Good. Good. Excellent. And Bill should be here in a moment. I just want to apologize for some audio issues that appear to be happening at the moment on my end, but uh, we should be able to just power through. Hey, Bill, how are you going? I'm good, I'm good. It's, it's afternoon here, but I was about to say good morning. <laughs> <laughs> it is, we've got to deal with the, the time difference here. So, um, firstly, uh, Andrew, you're the Director of Communications at NCT. Can you give us a little bit more of your background, your involvement in the media? Uh, absolutely. Um, um, hi to everybody. Thank you for the invitation. Um, predominantly, I've uh, had a journalism career in journalism, 35 years uh, before I moved across to the dark side of communications um, and a range of different outfits, starting as a cadet on the uh, Sun News Pictorial in Melbourne, uh, a number of years with the Sunday Age in the Age, uh, right, right up to the uh, Sydney Olympics. Uh, then moved to New Zealand and had a number of years at the press in Christchurch, ending up as editor of the press during uh, earthquake period, and then moved across to Melbourne to be the editor-in-chief of The Age uh, there for four years. So um, pretty diverse background uh, right across um, different outlets within Australia. Uh, excellent. And Mark, uh, as I said, you're the editorial director at CNET, so you can give us a bit more of your background, please. Yeah, um, I actually started out as a games journalist uh, about 20 years ago, but maybe not that long ago. Uh, but I, I, I got my start in magazines, so I worked across heaps of video game magazines, like uh, official PlayStation magazine, and the official Nintendo magazine, uh, stuff like that. I, I edited a bunch of those magazines for maybe three or four years before moving online. I edited Kotaku Australia, which is the Australian edition of, you know, Kotaku, which is a really big, massive global video games website. Did that, 
um, ultimately managed and uh, was the publisher of what used to be the Gawker website, so which was Kotaku, Gizmodo, Lifehacker, all these kind of tech sites. And then uh, three years ago, moved across to work at CNET as their editorial director. Um, it's more of a global role. Uh, I manage the Australian team, but also manage a bunch of journalists in the US, the UK. Um, so really a big kind of gigantic global operation there. And, uh, and Bill, you've kind of quite uh, recognizable in the business tech space. Sorry. I'm a freelance these days. I started out about 40 years ago, um, originally in news, but moved very quickly into computer magazines when they were a new thing. This was the um, 80s. Um, came to New Zealand about 35 years ago to work on the Dominion newspaper, doing the, the technology pages for the paper. Um, spent some more time in New Zealand, then went to Australia for a while when I uh, edited PC magazine for ACP as it was then, uh, worked on the Sydney Morning Herald, the AFR and so on, came back to New Zealand to a job with IDG, so as still in the uh, technology space. Um, but since then, I've been mainly a freelance. Uh, these days, I work for the New Zealand Herald, Radio New Zealand, um, CIO magazine, New Zealand Business, probably a couple of others. And I, I do some work overseas as well. Uh, reporting on what's happening in this part of the world to the US and Europe. Okay, we've got a very broad range of experience here and a, a range of different outlets. Um, Andrew, I'm kind of going to go to you first. Then. Given your experience with the, the former Fairfax media and um, experience in, in Metro Australian papers and in New Zealand, um, can you give us a, a bit of an idea of how varied media coverage can be over here? Absolutely. Um... And I've just been jotting down some notes on that uh, as I think about it. It's um, it's a very diverse uh, media outlet uh, or media ecosystem, I should say, although dominated by a, a number of major companies. But um, if we think starting off with television, there's in essence five television stations, five major television stations. There are also some regional ones, uh, the ABC, of course, and then the free-to-air. Uh, although I put SBS, which has um, began life as a smaller um, cousin station to the ABC, concentrating on ethnic media or ethnic news stories, but um, has a quite a broad range of material there. In terms of newspapers, it's dominated by News Corporation, Rupert Murdoch's company. Uh, he has The Australian, which is normally a national newspaper, but then also daily newspapers in most of the uh, major uh, cities. Uh, you have what used to be Fairfax is now Channel 9's, the City Morning Herald and the Age, as well as a, a couple of other small ones like Canberra Times. Um, and then you get into uh, an extraordinary range of community newspapers, radio, of course, um, let alone any of the, the specific uh, interest magazines and, or websites, which I'm sure the others will talk about. Um, and in fact, I was just recalling the other day, I was chatting out with a former colleague of mine who used to be the editor of the Manum 2 Herald, now doing PR work for Ryman Healthcare in Australia and talking about the importance of uh, community newspapers with Melbourne as, a, as an important outlet for them, particularly to talk to people who may well end up uh, being residents in a Ryman uh, health centre. So it, it, it's incredibly diverse. A lot of it's very much around localised interests, state interests, right down to uh, 
the country town you're in or the suburb that you live in in those big cities. But the other element too to keep in mind when you're thinking about broad PR is there's a number of international um, news companies based there. The Guardian has a newsroom of about 15 to 20 people. So if your business story is particularly relevant to uh, things that The Guardian likes to look at, such as sustainability, then that's also an option. And you've got uh, your correspondence based in Sydney, New York Times, Washington Post. So there is an opportunity whilst looking for PR or stories within Australia to, to think broader than that. But I know Mark and the others will talk about that in terms of specific interests. So it's very diverse. There's a lot of different options. So often you've got to be very careful about who it is you're targeting and what audience you want to speak to. Exactly. We'll go to, to Mark here in terms of um, a bit more experience and kind of the, the special, more specialised uh, media in terms of gaming and, and tech. So what's been your experience particularly across, you know, those Gizmodo, Kotaku brands then moving to, to CNET? Uh, it's very different. I think, um, when I was at when I was at the Kotaku Gizmodo Life Office sites, we were writing primarily for an Australian audience. So picking and choosing what we covered was was very different from the way we pick and choose topics and stories at CNET. When I first got to CNET, my feeling was is that this was a website that could bring Australian stories to the world, as opposed to trying to tell Australian stories to an Australian audience, which is what I primarily did on the, on the other sites before Kotaku, Gizmodo and Lifehacker. So there's a big difference there. Big difference not only in the type of story that you're going to write, but also how you would write it. Um, so that, that was a big shift for me. Uh, but it was a shift I was really excited about. Um, and it was one that I drove. It was, it was what I wanted to do. And when I, when I first got there, there was a sense that we were still writing for that Australian audience and writing specifically for them. Well, I felt that wasn't the best use of our time. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey. First, you got to convince everyone on the team that that is the right decision. And then once you've got them on board, you, then the journey begins of like, you know, how, how do you communicate these stories that you're really Im embedded in you know like the mbn's a great example the mbn story is something every every tech journalist has done to death and has written heaps and heaps and heaps but for a, for a us audience you'd be writing about that story quite differently wouldn't you compared to the people who are actually experiencing it day in day out and, and bill what about for you kind of kind of moving between new zealand and australia yeah it's it's interesting because Perhaps if we were doing this a decade ago, New Zealand's uh, media sector and Australia's were quite well integrated. I mean, I was writing stories for the Sydney Morning Herald while I was still living here. Um, and um, we used to have, you know, the, the times between the media companies, uh, the big media companies in New Zealand and Australia. That's much less the case now. Um, New Zealand Herald would be the dominant media company, which is NZME, and they're they had a tie-up with an Australian company that no longer exists. Stuff Media was at one point Fairfax, which of course is an Australian or was an Australian company. Um, that's no longer the case. That's now locally owned. Um, the the there's a little bit more of that in radio, but there's only two major radio networks in the country, and there's really two two TV networks, and one of them is TVNZ, which is it's sort of commercial, sort of state-owned. It's some, it sits somewhere between the two. And there's talk at the moment of uh, TVNZ and Radio New Zealand being brought into one 
umbrella organization radio new zealand still being uh, essentially government owned so um the media landscapes changed dramatically in that last 10 years and we and we're much more decoupled from australian media than we were um there's still agency stories appear here from australia and, and, and i know that our stories go out that way too um and i think the tv networks both have an australian based reporter I, I'm sure that Radio New Zealand does, but beyond that, there's not so much of that anymore either. So we are um, we are kind of a separate market, in m- much more so. Um, and if it helps people on the east coast of Australia, um, you might want to think of us being more like, say, dealing with West Australia than with um, another one of the states. And we're about the same size as an Australian state in terms of the population and the media here anyway. So... Um, it would help to think of us that way. One other thing uh, that I, I should mention is the time difference tends to be tends to loom large at times, and other times it doesn't. But there are occasions when it does uh, looms large, and part of that is things like um, I mean, I know for I know for example from having worked in the Australian media that a lot of uh, communications people and so on they tend to deal with Sydney and Melbourne and perhaps Queensland. As their priority and then um, the other Australian states and New Zealand are often a secondary and that means that they tend to leave that till later in the day but later in their day is when we've all finished working so it's so the story breaks you, you know you've missed the slot you, you know because of the time difference so there is a there's a little bit of that sometimes we're out of sight and out of mind and sometimes people just aren't thinking about us from our point of view, you know, it's thought of as uh, from an Eastern Australia point of view at times. Um, that said, the, the other thing we have going on here, which is not quite the same as Australia, is we do have a very vibrant second tier of pre- predominantly online media. So um, Business Desk, which is one of them, actually yesterday Business Desk got sold to NZME. Um, and business desk is a subscription only, and it's, it's what it says it is. It's a, it's a business news service. There's a newsroom, which is uh, has a broader remit, and um, the spin-off, which is kind of a sort of lighter, guardian-ish kind of readership. Um, but it's also but it's a it's a lighter news website, and those are quite important in New Zealand scene today. Uh, they're not as big as the, as the majors, but they're you know they're up there and they're important. I just want to go back to, to Mark because he said something very interesting about dealing with um, an international team and working out different ways to present stories to your audience because they're not quite a specific local audience. So um, how would you uh, work with, say, New Zealand um, PRs who reach out to you with a story? How would you, what are you looking for to bring them to see that because you are looking at a much more um, international audience uh, that's probably separate from New Zealand doesn't really do a lot or, or look a lot at New Zealand as kind of bills. Yeah, I think it's it's very similar to actually there's zero difference in the way that someone from New Zealand can pitch me or, or, or the journalists who work with me compared to Australia. It's the same thing. I would tell them the exact same thing because we they're, they're trying to get their story in front of the same type of audience and it, it, may, it makes no difference whether those people are from Sydney or Melbourne or New Zealand. They have to think for us, they have to be thinking, is this story relevant for a global audience? It's just first and foremost, the most important thing. Um, so thinking about that, 
is is primarily that should be the focus. The other thing is is that it's important to understand that Cena has a global team, and I'm just part of that global team. So I handle a very specific part of Cena, and you know, ten or twelve of those writers that cover those beats. But if you, if you're, I'm all, I'm also useful. You could also email me and say, who's the best person to talk to about, you know, I don't know, I've got a smart home product or I've got a new mobile phone thing that does something weird and interesting. Who who do I talk to? If you were to reach out to me, I might say to you, I can't, I'm not going to cover that. I'm not going to write that. No one on my team is going to cover that. But I can tell, I can get, introduce you to the person who's best suited to to review that or talk about that it's like a common thing that happens to me a lot is someone will email me and see it say oh lg's releasing new tv uh do you guys want to review it or we're releasing this new uh, new new tablet new phone do you guys want to review it and i'll say look we have someone in the us who literally is his job all he does is review televisions he knows everything you could ever imagine about televisions not only that but he has a massive office space for it's completely designed specifically to review televisions. Me reviewing a TV in my lounge whilst playing a video game for three hours, it's just not going to compare. It's pointless for me to do that. So I, I would have to say no to that person, but what I would say to that person is reach out to person X and he can he can help you, and I'm happy to do those introductions. So step one would be understand that I might not be able to cover the product in the way that you want it to be covered, but I can help you. Step two, if you if you do have a global story that's worth telling, tell pitch it to me in those terms, if that makes sense. Yeah, so you know, global story for for a global audience. Um, Andrew, I know last week we had a quick chat and we were talking about uh, how to approach Australian media, um, and that there are probably some outlets that you would be better inclined to go towards or. Um, a certain outlet you probably wouldn't approach first up. So can you give us a bit of an idea of how you, you know, if you're a New Zealand comms person, how you would approach getting into the Australian market? Absolutely. And in fact, it goes straight to the question in chat there from Mike Woodcock um, <clears throat> around what's the, the common thread in Australia. Um, the common thread, quite simply, is why do I care? What 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 is it about your story that for me sitting in Adelaide matters because I don't care that you're New Zealand. In fact, one of the things to, to be um, fundamentally clear about is that Australians will not write stories because it comes from New Zealand and they like Kiwis. In fact, quite the opposite. Uh, you're the, uh, well, you, we now, I'm, I'm kind of both, I'm the trans-Tasman creature, as is Bill. Um, we're not going to write stories about New Zealand just because isn't it lovely that the Kiwis do this. Uh, you're with the annoying younger brother and the last thing we're going to do is highlight how wonderful you are compared with us. Um, the, the other, and it's true because I come from there, the other key kind of emotional element around Australians is they're highly competitive. So it matters to the things that, that resonate within the stories they want to hear about are things that make a difference for their lives, that matter to them and are about them. So you've got to get into the head of the journalist and who they're writing for and why should they care. Uh, the other factor too around the Australian media is that competitive element. It's very parochial. So a story that is of interest to somebody in Adelaide will not be of interest to somebody in Melbourne or Hobart. So again, you're being 
quite specific and targeted about the audience you want to speak to um, and why you're trying to talk to them. And when you're pitching to media, you can do an all-in media release uh, unless you're a really big company or it's an extraordinary story. Not a lot of outlets will pick it up. So if you're making a pitch to one outlet, it's their story, the other outlets won't be interested. So again, you've got to think through very carefully, who do I really want to be talking to? What's the story that's going to be of interest to them? And I'm probably only going to get one shot at it because if it's in a, in a news corporation paper, the age and the others won't take much interest to it. So, you know, what really matters to me? Fantastic. I think you've answered both of Mike's questions there. Um, We've got about five minutes remaining. If you've got any more questions, please pop them in now. Um, Bill, I'm just going to go to you on the, the, the target of pitch side. Obviously, you've worked at a fair bit in tech there and you, you freelance now as well. So I'd imagine you've got a little more freedom than just working a beat for a, a single entity. Yeah. Um, how important is, is that targeting for you? Oh, it, it really is. I mean, one of the most, one of the most common problems I come up against is I get queries uh, coming in from people in Australia who haven't read the target publication. So if it's a story for, say it's for um, a business publication, they haven't read it. And I'll get people trying to pitch me stories about robot vacuum cleaners or, or what have you, which is just not appropriate for that, that audience. And that happens a lot. And I think that it's, it's the sort of thing that if they were working in Australia, they would know they would know these titles and it really just it's really just a question of just doing a little bit of research you don't have to do very much uh research but you do need to sort of just have a, a, a better view of the new zealand media landscape than perhaps you do when you're trying to target us um the other thing that that sometimes happens is we quite often get the sort of what i call the catch-all stuff so um we'll get pitch stories that are something to do with the Australian federal government, which is just, it just has nothing to do with us. And yet I will still get the call from Australia. Did you see our press release? What did you think of it? Um, and and, and a number of times I've had to tell people that's just not a New Zealand story. It seems ridiculous. The flip side of that is you can tell by looking at me that I'm not a, a you know, I'm not one of these young uh, journalists. And one of the things I like to do, if I get something that's, that does pique my interest, I like to get on the phone and talk. And I have to tell you, the number of times when I do that and the people person at the other end is freaked out because they just haven't heard someone get on the phone and talk about a story in a long time. It's really quite surprising. Fantastic. Um, so I'll start wrapping up now. We might be getting a few questions coming through. But Tamlin has a question. She asks, how important is providing stats from big data sources when pitching? I, I think, stay, stay with Bill, but you seem to be on the wrong. Sorry, I, sorry, I, I sorry. Um, so, so Tamlin asks, how important is providing stats from big data sources when pitching? Um, stats are a good source of stories. They're a good starting point for a story, but you need a bit more than just raw statistics as a rule. And it's also important that they're relevant stats. I mean, there's no point trying to sell us a story based on uh, stats from, say, a survey that's been done in Australia. We're not interested in you know, what Australian small business people are thinking in New Zealand. So, um, so stats, very good, but make sure they're relevant. And that's the, that's the key there. And Kim's got a question. And I'll, I'll go to all three of you for your kind of opinion on this. And it's about follow-up phone calls. So obviously, Bill, you seem to be someone who doesn't mind a phone call. So 
um, for you, if you were receiving a follow-up, would that be fine with you? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, in fact, um, I pref- in some ways, I prefer it. The only thing is that they can, a, they can come at dinner time because you know it's um, dinner. Some there are times when we're three hours time difference with you guys, and um, you know I may be sitting down watching James Bond on the TV or something, and a call comes in. Um, and so be wary of that. And, um, and the flip side of that, of course, is that um, um, I have to be wary of ringing someone in Australia at seven a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mark, what about for you? Are you someone who likes to follow a phone call or is it more an email? Yeah, um, so I don't, I can't think of a single time when a follow up call has inspired me to read the email. If I'm being 100% honest, every time someone calls me for a follow up call, I do the same thing. I'm very polite and I'm very nice. And I'm like, oh, yep, resend it to me. And then I, I still don't read it. Almost all the time, it's not relevant to me. If, if it is relevant, I'll have read and I'll know about it. I check all my emails. I delete a lot of emails. Um, the one thing that was mentioned before as well is that, you know, the idea of targeting something, these ten, these, these emails tend to just be scattershot and sent to everyone. And then there's a follow-up call, did you get this thing about the thing that doesn't matter to you? Like, it's tricky because I absolutely understand how busy like PR professionals are and, and, and Try and be super patient with that stuff. It's just a really tricky situation, isn't it? It's like a lot of this stuff isn't relevant. Everyone has to do their jobs, and but the, the follow-up calls for me aren't productive. I tend to, I've gone to the point where my phone is on silent, and I don't actually answer it unless it's a number I recognise. Sometimes I make the mistake and I pick up, and it's always someone <laughs> for the follow-up call, and. I, I don't mind it. It never upsets me. I absolutely understand how difficult this job is, but on this, at the same time, I don't think it's productive and I don't think it helps me. I don't think it helps them either. Um, probably best to DM me on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mark, I'm going to stay with you for a sec because Felicia's got a question that relates to what you said just about emails. She asked, what causes you to delete an email outright? Oh, there's heaps of stuff. Um, I don't recognise the name. The subject has something that I don't care about. Uh, if the subject has media blast in all caps, I'm not reading it. <laughs> so I guess email, um, I guess you know, uh, good good subject lines is probably. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think think of your subject line like an article headline would be my first first line of advice. If you, I I would like to me, I, I care so much about headlines and the headlines my my journalists are writing. If you can write a good subject line that reads like a headline, I'm reading it. Andrew, what about, sorry, um, right, sorry, Mark. Andrew, what about for you? Because you've got such an experience there and working with some of Australia's major major um, publications there. Oh, I, I think knowing exactly who you want to talk to and why is is critical element. So a little bit, you know, to build things around, you know, do your research. You've got to do your research. The, my news editor at The Age had something like 27,000 unread emails in his inbox. So if, you, if you're sending an email to him, hoping he's going to take, pay attention to it, he's like Mark. Unless it's coming from his editor, he's paying no attention to it whatsoever. It's just going to disappear into the same morass. So to my, my fundamental thing is do your homework. Which journalist are you going to talk to from which outlet and why? and target that person and go and explain to them why your story is important to them and why they should care about it. 
Uh, we've got a question in from Nikki, and this is for you, Andrew. And they ask, how big is sustainability for Aussie media? And if there is a Kiwi company that is global and growing, especially in um, in, in Australia and sustainable packaging area, um, is there a publication outside of The Guardian that you would recommend? Well, I think you could take it to, I'd, I'd be wary of news corps, to be honest. Um, that's not necessarily an area that they've um, excelled in. Um, so I'd be looking at other media within that area. Um, but you have to localise it. So why do the people of that community care about it? Have they got anybody working in it? Is it gonna make a difference for them? Is it available for them? So again, very specifically putting yourselves into their shoes and understanding the thing that's gonna make them interested. And just to finish up for today, I'm gonna to go to each of you. Um, Andrew, we'll stay with you. Uh, what's kind of one piece of advice that you would give if you kind of had 30 seconds to, to introduce someone to the Australian media? It will be having a very clear sense of what you're doing in all your business, um, why it matters, what differences are going to make to people. Uh, it's something that we do at NZTE and it applies right across the board. You, you have to have a very clear sense of what your story is. And it is the classic elevator pitch. You've got 30 seconds to keep my attention. If you can't grab me in 30 seconds, I'm going to move the subject on to something else. Excellent. And Bill, the same for you. Yeah, I would agree with what Andrew said, but I'd, I'd go on and say one other thing, and that is research your research who you're sending things to um, first. I mean, if you're just scattergun approach, well, you know, like Mark says, we're brutal about dealing with them. Um, but if you can target it, if you can see that, you know, I'm writing a certain type of story uh, and it fits with that, that's good. And just know a little bit about the publication or the person that you're communicating with before you get in touch. It doesn't have to be much, but it has to be. But you know, some having some clue is uh, going to open you more doors than it, than um, than closing doors. And Mark, finally from you, I think that's all. Andrew and Bill are spot on. For me, what is interesting, you know, like you need to know what the really interesting thing about your story is like i'm always and i always encourage all the journalists i work for is to find what is interesting what is really interesting really ask yourself that question because what you think is interesting probably might not be interesting probably isn't interesting what is actually interesting really test yourself on that um, and if you can dial that down and and have that drilled in a way that is easy to communicate you're half your almost all the way there. Excellent. Uh, I just want to thank Andrew, Bill and Mark for coming on today. You've been uh, fantastic. Uh, and I've got a, a question, I guess for me, I'll answer that in a moment. Um, but uh, you can get uh, Mark and Bill's, I believe, their email addresses on influencing.com. You can sign up for, for free um, and you'll be able to get in touch with them there. Um, so once again, thanks so much for, for joining us this, uh, this morning, Australian time, this afternoon, New Zealand time. Um, and we uh, hope to kind of keep, keep track of you guys uh, in the future. Thanks again. Cheers. Great. And thank you very much for joining us on Influencing Insider. That was Andrew Holder, Bill Bennett, and Mark Settles with Australian Media 101. Uh, don't forget for all of our NZT viewers, you will receive free access to an Australian media and uh, press release platform, which is influencing. You can get um, started straight away. You'll get details on that a little bit later today through an email. You'll also get a replay link sent there, so if you want to double-check anything that three of them said, uh, you can grab it there. I think Bill's dropped his email into – Bill and Mark have both dropped their emails into the chat box, so you can grab it there. Um, 
And also, this will be available as a podcast. You can grab that. That's influencing inside on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like your podcasts. Um, we'll be back next week. Your friend, join us. Uh, we'll, it'll be our final episode before the end of the year. We'll be back in January then uh, with the winner of the Gold Lizzie. So that's the IT, Australian IT Journalism Awards. And hopefully we'll, we'll see you next week. If not, um, we'll catch you in the year. We'll just drop the uh, link to influencing.com in the chat box and you can grab it then. So I'm Elliot Richardson. Bye for now.